0: Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Uh, It's been a while since I've been here. I've been given a list of things I'm to do today as moderator. First of all, to ask those of you who have some to turn your cell phones off. Okay. My name is Ralph Thrall, Jr., and uh, I'm the moderator today. This session is being recorded, and you'll be able to see it, or your friends will be able to see it. When, new
1: 4.30 on Sunday afternoon.
0: Did you hear that? 4.30 Sunday afternoon. Shaw TV. Shaw TV. Okay. Um, there's a basket, I presume, on each table, each of you are to put $10 in it for lunch. And somebody takes the responsibility for counting it. So I leave it up to each table to discharge that responsibility, right? Uh... For the benefit, I guess, of those watching on on, uh, television, um, I should explain that uh, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs is a volunteer organization, but is fortunate to have the good support of the University of Lethbridge for which we are most pleased. I will give Cosmos a wave. When he's got five minutes left, he should be talking for not more than thirty minutes, Cosmo. And uh, uh, then at one o'clock we will uh, have lunch, and we'll have lunch until one o'clock. Okay. How many of you either know or are aware of this gentleman, our speaker, today? Quite a lot of you. How many of you are of the opinion that he is primarily interested in promoting nuclear energy? This is what I call a perception check. I would like to read from the blurb that was handed out or uh, right up here. I'd like to read this sentence. It says, he, and that's referring to this gentleman here. He designed Taiwan's power infrastructure to incorporate liquid natural gas and coal port facilities oil-fired, coal-fired, gas-fired, hydro and nuclear power plants to ensure that Taiwan had a reliable power supply in the event that military and or political actions blocked external energy supplies. Uh, In my opinion, our guest today probably has a better grasp of the total Uh, dynamic of energy production and transmission than anybody else in this country. So, would you join me in welcoming Cosmos Futsinas?
1: Thank you, Ralph. Um, We're going to talk about sustainable energy. When we talk about sustainable energy, there is no free lunch, except for me today, actually, you know, but I have to talk to you for half an hour. Ten years ago, the United Nations scientists came up with a a theory that there is a warming trend that takes place in Earth, and we cause that by emitting greenhouse gases. And these guys have been called greenies by some people. Then another group of scientists came up and objected to that theory. As usually happens in science, as it usually happens in science, the uh, other scientists, which people call them skeptics, came up and questioned that theory, and a healthy debate started between the greenies and the skeptics, and that it's quite normal in science. Both groups have provided partial evidence to support the theory, but here's the point. None of them has provided conclusive evidence to prove, without doubt, one way or another yet. So the debate is going on, and it's healthy about it. The reason that they have not provided conclusive evidence is because the environment is a very complex dynamic system where... Even now, we find variables that would affect and alter that conclusion. So, these guys will debate for a long time if they ever conclude. What do we do in the interim? I fear it will take a very long time before the conclusion is reached. So. If the green is turned out to be right, then we have to act right away to make some plans that would uh, avoid coming to a situation where there is positive feedback or a runaway feedback which will place us in a position of no return. If the skeptics are right, and we have acted, and we did need to act, we haven't lost our time because we're running out of oil. We have to find some alternative energy anyways. So it's not a waste of time. So just for starters, the argument that they do, the greenness and the skeptics, is academic as far as we're concerned. We should start now looking at doing something about it. Now talking about doing something there is only one we can do, change our energy infrastructure. And that's not going to be easy. It is doable, but it is very complicated. This is a very big uh, task we're talking. It's a task that will take an enormous amount of natural resources, human resources. um, Closing has been estimated to $100 trillion worth of investment, just to give you an idea, and probably 50 years of concentrated effort to bring a dent to this situation. In addition to that, any mistake that we do will cause our children or grandchildren to end up in a dead end and they have to turn around to spend another 50 years to get out of it. So, we can't afford to be wrong in what we're doing. So, it is not easy, but and the reason it is not easy, the solution, is because we don't have a single technology that's a silver bullet to take care of replace the hydrocarbons. But we have a basket of technologies, all of which are good, and we will need them all, actually. There is not a technology that we cannot use. But each technology is more efficient in some applications and not in others. So we have to find, for the application we want, which technology we use, and then use sit there and extrapolate in the future how we can make them integrate with the other ones. Another thing that we have to consider is that we don't have to put a target of 50 years and stick to that, because even the transition period of the 50 years, we have to have a balanced economy and sort of a balanced supply of energy. So what's our demand for energy? Many people tend to think that it's electricity only. Well, it's not. What's the point of having electricity if we don't have trucks and trains and ships to transport our goods? What is good electricity if we don't have uh, the petrochemicals to make our car tires, our fertilizers, our paints, and so forth? All together, we need them all or nothing. It's not just one thing that we have to concentrate. So, now, also, if we're going to help our environment, we have to have a target. What target should we put in order to be able to help our environment? <coughs> and that target is to sort of approximately, such an idea that uh, has been mentioned, to go 15% of what we emitted in the year 2000 and achieve that by the year 2050. So that's uh, difficult, but it's still doable. It's in line with the Kyoto Protocol or the Copenhagen Agreement. So, if I have to summarize the goal then, the goal is in 50 years to reduce the greenhouse gases by 85% from what we emitted in 2000. Now, having done that goal, we have to select technologies that will allow us to do that. Well, if when we select a car, we don't just pick up a car because it has a pretty bumper. We just pick up a car by uh, looking at the engine, the, uh, the financing situation, the indoor situation, everything. The same thing has to do with energy. We have to g- examine it to have a complete picture of each energy available from birth to death, what they call principle. In other words, from when we mine the materials from the ground to build the plants to operate them, making the pollution, and the Commissioning, the whole thing is the full picture. And we cannot compare an energy to another energy without comparing the full picture. People have a tendency to grab little parts and so say, this is better than that, so we do that. It doesn't work. So... And also, when we try to compare the energies, we have to have some criteria. What are the criteria? Very simple. Triple E principle. Energy efficiency, economy, and environment have all three together to agree that this technology is better than the other technology in order to adopt it. So, having done that and have set the rules and the criteria, let's examine for a minute what we have done in the last ten years that we have had the opportunity. If I had to summarize it, we have developed serious division in society, strong ideologies based on incomplete knowledge of the technology involved. A lot of armchair experts select only what supports their ideology and reject everything else. Well. If you look at it, we need them all. So what we have done, we are not closer to our goal that we said before. We have not benefited our environment. We have not benefited our economy. And we have wasted a lot of energy. All we have achieved, and all we are achieving doing what we are doing, is to make ourselves feel good. Foul us in the other position. But that's dangerous. Let me give you some examples. The electric car. The electric car, as I mentioned before, we need also to transport our energies, uh, our goods, and we need to have tires to put on them in order to operate. And we need the petrochemicals, and we need uh, transportation fuels. But there's another point to it. Once we install the electric car, we'll triple our electricity demand. Where is it going to (laughs) come? Right now, in Alberta, we have about 50% uh, carbon, 30% gas, and the rest is hydro and a little bit of the renewables. Now, the renewables in the last uh, five years have doubled in cost because it has doubled, so in production and installation, but then the demand has increased much faster than the capacity to meet the the demand, never mind upsetting it. So, if we're going to do uh, take the energy from birth to death that we're looking at, and we do a triple-E principle comparison, well, it does help in some ways, but it doesn't help in every ways. How we're going to produce electricity? We're targeting to increase our gas, product, our gas consumption by to 40%. So, really, Does this help the environment? Gas is clean air. It's not clean. It still produces 40% of the pollution that the coal fire plant produces. Still, we keep increasing our our, our emissions of greenhouse gases. Does it solve our problem? Now, some people have said, let's put uh, windmills to to charge the batteries. could be possible, but not the way we do it. It wouldn't work the way we do it. And I'll get to the wind power to explain to you why. So let's look at wind power. When some company installs a wind plant, a wind farm, they say it could power 120,000 houses. But the sentence is not finished there. It should be continued to say if the wind was blowing continuously seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But since the wind does not blow that much, then obviously that number is irrelevant. It's a marketing number and not a real number. So what is it then? Um, Normally, the windmills, they have a need for, for wind to rotate, but under 10 kilometers an hour, they don't produce any power, even if they rotate. Above that, they have another cutoff point that will be damaging themselves, so they stop. Within that window, the wind will see only 30%, 25 to 30% of the time, favorable wind to do the job. The other 70% of the time, you have to have another power to, to, to do the job. Where is that power coming from? Well, in in Denmark, they had the luck to have a vast amount of uh, hydropower, and they managed to, to patch up the problem. But here in Alberta, we burn gas. Now, that means then that for when the, the gas provides 70% of the power and the wind provides 30% of the power. Now, which is, help, which is the primary power pro- provider, the 70% or the 30%? But let's go another step further. The problem is not only that. It's much more serious, much more serious. When the wind blows, the, the wind will convert it into power out of the grid. But as we all know here in Alberta, we, the wind does not blow in a single puff. It comes in puffs and gas all the time. So this unstable puffing, the windmill amplifies it on the other side, it gives us 800 volts, 100 volts, it goes continuously like that. So the utility in order for the windmill to operate has the gas fire plant, operates it at 50% capacity 24-7. And when the wind goes down, the gas goes up. It goes down, like that, continuously. And that's how we manage to have electricity in the grid. Now, that's fine if that will work, but what does it do if we apply the triple E principle? And that is, what does it do for us? Well, first, we have two two power plants doing the job of one. Second, we have double the capital cost, double the operating cost almost double the pollution except that the windmill does not provide much pollution, but we can't run the wind by itself without the gas fire plant. If we do that, if you can plug your house into a windmill directly, first of all, your appliances will all be burned in two seconds, and then the lights will go up and down like you got a three-year-old child playing with the dimmer switch. So that is the output of the windmills. And we taught them that it will solve the problems of the humanity. We'll live forever happy thereafter. That's a good dream, but that's not working alone. Now. Don't misunderstand me. The wind power is a very good energy, but we use it wrong. And we use it wrong because we've got the subsidies in the wrong area. If we had, for instance, a DC separate grid in DC for charging cars, it can do miracles. We don't need the other power power plant to back it up. It would do it by itself, but we do, use it the wrong way. And not only that, we shoot ourselves on the foot by doing one thing. Right now, Maxwell Technology, for the last three years, have developed what they call the super... Uh, capacitors. If you put the supercapacitors on the windmill output, you might be able to smoothen up the strand. But the people that install the windmills are too busy installing subsidized power. So if I wanted to tell to to give you the message from that topic is sustainable energy and government subsidies cannot exist on the same page. It just doesn't make sense. It's not sustainable. We're just fooling ourselves into believing so. Let me give you another example. Um, The other day I have heard, you all have heard about the wonderful uh, power, the wonderful uh, wastewater plant we have in Lethbridge. So I went to visit it and a very nice plant it has, but you know as wastewater, when we treat wastewater, produces methane. So and in order to stop the methane, people paid some money, and the city paid some like 10 million dollars to build two gas two generators, 1.5 megawatt that would burn the methane. So when I was there, the gas these generators were off, and the methane was blowing up in the sky. And I said, why is that? Well, there is a law in in, in Alberta that the cities cannot produce their own power. So we had a $10 million uh, legislation sitting there, and the methane gas went up. And to make things worse, three years ago, we had appointed an eco-officer, eco-energy officer in the city hall, to look after these matters. And we wanted to appoint another one, and what has happened? We have given them a written description, what the job is, what's expected from them. Does it help us? So... Now, there are other things uh, but I can go up. I let people take measures like unplug the charger of the telephone that will help us or get more efficient light bulbs. All these things are helping, but really, to me, they look like we try to bet to to build out the Titanic with a teaspoon. It doesn't work. We don't have the capacity to do anything like that. Our problem is big. It's not like that. It will not be solved with this type of situation. So have no illusions. To achieve our goal, for saving the environment, if it needs saving, our reductions in demand and our increases in supply must be big. And don't get distracted by the myth that every little helps us do a lot. If we do a little, we achieve a little. If each one of us saves one percent of the electricity we consume, the city or left will have to save one percent of what they supply. Not more than that. It doesn't work this population multiplier in this case. All these do good activity then, it wastes our resources and it achieves not very much to get us towards a goal that we set in 50 years, the goal that we have to achieve. So what we need to do, we need a plan that adds up. If you look back in history, most of the catastrophes that humanity has experienced have started with some ideology. Let's stop them. Now, some people have accused me of being pro-nuclear or anti-environmentalist. I don't know if that's accusation or what, but the way I see myself is as being pro-arithmetic. If it adds up, I support it. If it doesn't add up, I don't. So, if people come and say, for instance, we have a huge supply of uh, clean energy, well, how huge is huge? And how does it compare to a huge appetite to consume energy? I need numbers, so I can add them. This kind of adjectives, they don't work. They don't give us anything except they make us pawns to market employees, but we are exposed. And we're in a province that has a lot of energy and lots of special interest groups, so it would be natural that it will happen. So what do we do? If we want to be responsible to our grandchildren and to our environment, we have to engage in a dialogue for the purpose of first educating ourselves to what we're talking about, not get the full picture. And that booklet that uh, has been circulated around puts some ideas there about each energy that will allow you to sort of formulate an idea of what is the full picture birth to death of each energy. Then. What's happening, what we've been doing so far with our ideologies, we go to our government and they just pull them a little bit one way. Well, the government takes a step and stops. Then the other guy pulls them the other way. It takes a step and stops. So at the end, it makes a pirouette and goes nowhere. And we don't get results. So nothing can be more powerful than a knowledgeable constituency. And we have the means to do it, if we, but before we try to learn to educate each other, we have to leave our ideologies outside the door, and our preconceptions outside the door, and try to examine all the facts as presented, and learn from it, rather than sort of jump into conclusions and sort of get all one-sided. I'm green, so everything has to be green and nothing else, it doesn't work, it's just, just just waste of time. So... If we were going to educate ourselves all together, then we could pull the government all one way all together and bring some change. So let's forget this experience tragedies of confidence, lack of confidence, indecisiveness, suspicion, rage and revenge and so forth, and let's start a serious discussion about the peaceful and meaningful way to help our environment and ourselves. I think. If we succeed to that, our children and our environment will thank us one day. Thanks.
0: Okay, uh, I left my cheat sheet on my, where I'm sitting but I think we now have lunch and in approximately 30 minutes we'll reconvene and uh, we will have a question. An answer session, or maybe better put, a discussion session. So enjoy.